Turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to read from verse 15 to 24. However, today's sermon will be only on verse 24, but to get a little context, we'll start at verse 15. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And it starts with the word who, and it's talking about Christ. It says, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation? For in him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and enemies in mind and in evil deeds, but now... He reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly grounded and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and I fill up what is lacking of Christ's afflictions in my flesh on behalf of his body, which is the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, be with me as as I expound on your word. Let your words be prevalent in the hearts of the listeners. Amen. Paul has written this epistle to the church at Colossae. The conditions for Paul are not great. He's in prison in Rome. His first imprisonment. His second one, he was in prison there also, and that's where he wrote Timothy. But this is his first imprisonment in Rome. What got him there is just preaching the gospel. The Judaizers were after Paul. Every time he went somewhere, they were chasing him around. One time he was in Thessalonica. They didn't like what he had to say. They chased him out of town. He went to Berea. This happened all throughout Paul's ministry. So here he is imprisoned. And he's writing this epistle. An imprisoned man caring about other people. Around the year 60 
to 62 is when he wrote this. Paul was about the same age as our Lord Jesus Christ. So this would make him about 60 to 62 years old in a Roman prison writing a letter caring about the people in Colossae. This little town in the, in the middle of nowhere in a valley surrounded by mountains. Once was a big town, but now it's eclipsed by nearby Laodicea. So here's this well-known guy at this time preaching the gospel, imprisoned, and he's caring for this church, which, by the way, he had never seen before. He's preaching to this little church in Colossae. He didn't start the church. Most likely it was Epaphras. In chapter 1 it talks about Epaphras who started this church. Epaphras more than likely heard it from Paul when he was on his third missionary journey. So here's Paul doing the will of God, preaching the gospel throughout Asia Minor. People like Epaphras hear the gospel. They start the church in Colossae. Paul's writing a letter of encouragement. He heard about their love for one another. He heard about their faith, it says in chapter 1. He says, I heard about you. I heard about your faith and your love. Increase, he says in chapter 1. I pray that you will increase in your faith and love towards one another. He doesn't even know them. He heard about them from Epaphras, who is now visiting Paul in the Roman prison. Epaphras has shared with Paul his concerns. Well, Paul also wrote Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon while in prison. Wow. While in prison. How many people is he caring for? Paul was the great persecutor of the church. Young Stephen was stoned at the feet of Paul. They laid their coats at the feet of Paul. And Stephen died as he looked up to heaven. Paul was responsible for that. Paul is on the road to Damascus to persecute more Christians where he's intercepted by our Lord Jesus Christ who changes Paul and says, guess what? No more. You're on a mission for me. That's Paul. And boy, did he go on a mission. We all talk about missions. Paul was the ultimate missionary. Let's talk about this Colossian church that he wrote to. They were a faithful church, but they had some issues with philosophy. And they had people telling them to be careful what you eat, what you drink, what you touch. Be careful about the Sabbath day. How you worship. And by the way, worship angels. Paul says in chapter 2, verse 1, he had a great struggle for the church at Colossae. And that Epaphras in verse four, chapter 4, verse 13, had a deep concern for them. So both of these men had a great concern 
They felt a struggle for these people in Colossae. Why? Because they were faced with false doctrine. Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. Self-abasement. And Paul says, no. That's incorrect. You know, Jesus said the Antichrist was coming. There's going to be many Antichrists. Anti doesn't mean against Christ. It means in the place of Christ. The word anti means in the place of. And there were many Antichrists by the time of Paul. There were many that were trying to have a substitute for the true Christ. By saying, worship this, do this, equals salvation. Paul says, no, Christ is salvation. And this is why he just had, in the previous section, where he says, for uh, in him all things were created. And he is before all things. He had this heavy exaltation of Christ in the previous section for that very reason. Christ is all, Paul says. He thanked them for their faith and love in the earliest sections, 1 through 14. And then in 15 through 20, he says, Christ is everything, not the angels, not the Sabbath. Christ. And then in verse 20, he says, Christ is the one who reconciled all things to himself. He brought everything back to himself. And then for them in particular, the Colossians, in verse 21, he says, you, Colossians, and that includes all of us, were formerly alienated, enemies of God. You were enemies of God. And then he goes on to say, but now <laughs> he reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death. So Paul is saying, hey, you know, I'm thankful to God of who you are today, your faith and your love. I've heard of it. Continue, he says. Because Christ is all. Don't listen to the other stuff. He's the one who reconciled you. You have redemption in Christ. Thus the exaltation of Christ. And then he says in 23, if you continue in the faith firmly grounded and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you've heard, which is proclaimed. And then he says, of which I was made a minister. And it's with that statement that he transitions into what we're going to study today. He says, this gospel is why you're here today, you in Colossae. It's the gospel that you heard is why you're here Continue, he says, the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ saving you from your utter destruction. Continue to trust and have faith in Christ, the main focus of the gospel. And Paul says he's a minister of the gospel. That word minister means servant. Servant. So the pastor is a minister. That means the pastor is a servant. The minister is a servant of God. Paul says, I'm a minister of the gospel. 
You know, in all of his letters, he introduces himself as an apostle. That means messenger of Christ. He also introduces himself in other places as a slave of Christ. Servant of Christ. Of Christ is the key. He's a servant. He's a slave. Of Christ. A sent one. A messenger. And now he says, I'm a minister. A servant. Of the gospel. Because the gospel exalts Christ as our Savior. He says, I'm a servant of Christ. Well, in verse 24, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings. You got to say to yourself, wait a minute, what did you just say? I rejoice in my sufferings, he says. And then he goes on to say, for your sake, I fill up what's lacking of Christ's afflictions in my own body for the sake of the church, he says. I rejoice in my sufferings. This is the beginning of a bookend. In chapter 2, verse 5, Paul says, For even though I am absent in the body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the stability of your faith in Christ. Those are the bookends for this section. And this section talks about Paul's ministry to the church. His serving the church. That's what I'm doing now. I'm serving the church. I'm serving you. You are the body of Christ. Paul says, I am a servant of the gospel. The good news of Christ Jesus. I'm a servant, he says. He says, now, as a servant, he's saying, now, as a servant, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Well, let's talk about these sufferings. What are sufferings, first of all? They're hardships. Hardships. Things coming from the outside that affect us spiritually and physically. We can suffer from sicknesses, health reasons. We can suffer for spiritual reasons, the loss of a loved one. We can suffer as a nation for bad decisions made. There's so many ways to suffer. Raise your hand if you've suffered. Oh, come on now. If you're going to tell me you never suffered, you're not human. Sufferings for every person. In particular, though, what Paul is talking about is suffering for the gospel of which he's a minister. He's suffering for the message of Christ, which means he's suffering for Christ. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. And we'll go down to verse 15. And we're going to see how Paul was commissioned or called or appointed to suffer. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Now this is after Paul has persecuted Stephen. He's going out to persecute more. He's on the road to get more Christians 
so that he can make them suffer. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes in. He, Paul is blinded. He can't see. It's a miraculous situation. And the Lord says to Ananias to go and talk to Paul. Put, lay your hands on him and send him on this mission. And in verse 15 it says, But the Lord said to him, to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. You see, we admire the Apostle Paul, and he is admirable. But he was a guy who wasn't impressive. People mocked Paul. He wasn't a great orator or speaker, he was unimpressive in his appearance. But Jesus says he's an instrument of mine to bear my name. And I must show him how much he must suffer. Go down to verse 23. Paul gets his eyesight back. And here's the situation. He starts to preach the gospel right away. And in verse 23 it says, And when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to put him to death. (laughs) Wait a minute. What a change. He's on the road to Damascus to make other Christians suffer. And now the Jews are planning to make him suffer. This is what Jesus said would happen. But their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates by day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall, lowering him in a large basket. He's already starting to suffer. Put yourself in Paul's situation. You were the guy that was called on to go get those guys. And now all of a sudden the tables are turned. Now, guess what? They're coming to get you. There's a few things I want you to see in the act of suffering. I want you to see that it's guaranteed to all Christians. It's not partial. It sees no color. It sees no sex, gender. And it might lead to death. That's what I want you to see in suffering. Turn with me to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. Now, if you get sick of changing the pages, that's fine. I'll read it. (laughs) 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. And Paul tells Timothy, 
But you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You say to yourself, well, I live in America. Nobody's persecuting me. There's different forms of persecution. Certainly. I believe we're on the brink of heavy persecution in America today. It's guaranteed. John chapter 15. Turn to John 15. It's guaranteed for all believers. John 15, 18. And these are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. Because they do not know the one who sent me. It's guaranteed. It's not, hey, I think I'll escape that. It's guaranteed. It's also not partial. In the world that we live in today, many people are all about partiality, you know, you know, oppression. Well, this, this is something to say we're all equal on. All people, <laughs> I don't care what you are, will have suffering. All Christians. You notice it says all Christians, regardless of color. It doesn't say all white people will suffer. All black people will suffer. All who believe in the name of Jesus Christ will suffer. Turn to First Peter. First Peter. Chapter 5. All will suffer. All Christians. First Peter. Chapter 5. Verse 8. Be of sober spirit. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished among your brethren who are in the world. The same sufferings who are in the world. Suffering is not partial. We're all one church. One body of Christ. We don't have a black church, a white church, this church, that church. 
we know of two main incidents of suffering. Well, we know of many, but I think of two that are pretty prevalent in my mind, especially of recent times with what happened in Israel. You think about the Holocaust, where over six million Jews were murdered, slaughtered. Over six million. But even more so, those who died for the faith under Bloody Mary, for example. For the faith. We have two men that I think of, Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer. There were pastors who were burned at the stake under the hand of Bloody Mary. Ridley. Latimer died right away. They both were chained up. Latimer died right away. Ridley didn't. They both had explosives around their neck. Ridley didn't die. The whole lower half of his body burned. He yelled out, I can't burn! Lord, help me! Until the fire attached and flickered up to his neck and set off the explosive. Suffering knows no boundaries for the Christian. We're guaranteed suffering. It's not partial. Lastly, it might lead to death. Our suffering might lead to death. Matthew chapter 10. Our suffering might lead to death. Chapter 10, verse 38 and 39. And Jesus says this, And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Taking up your cross does not mean having a tough life. The cross during that time period only meant one thing. It'd be like saying taking up the execution chair, lethal injection. Firing squad. That's what he's saying. If you're not willing to die for my sake, that's what he's saying. You're not worthy of him. Suffering might lead to death. And certainly we know that it did lead to death to many. Well, Paul says, back in Colossians, he says... I I rejoice in my sufferings. I rejoice in these things of suffering. What is wrong with him? Who rejoices in suffering? Paul did. He did. He rejoiced in his suffering. We know that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, that one of the fruits of the Spirit is what? Joy. Joy. Rejoice is just another form of the word joy. Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering. Which means, Paul has the fruit of the Spirit. Which means, joy comes from the Spirit. Joy comes from God. It's a gift. It's a grace. 
That's why so many in the world today don't have any joy, because they don't have God. It's a gift of grace. Just like suffering is a regular part of the Christian life, joy is also a regular part of the Christian life. This is the balance to the suffering, is the joy. He didn't just go about saying, I suffer all the time. Poor me. Whoa, whoa. He says, I rejoice in my suffering. It doesn't mean he's jumping around happy because he's suffering. Yay, I get to suffer. No, he says, I'm content. I have joy in my future, eternity. I have joy because the Spirit is with me now. I have joy regardless of the suffering. It's a regular part of the Christian life. We know in James chapter 1, James says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. You see, James recognized that those trials, those sufferings, make you stronger. It's like running a race. When you first start doing cardio or running or lifting weights or exercising, you're sore, you're tired, your lungs burn. But after two or three days, all of a sudden you feel better. It's not that all of a sudden you're an amazing runner. You're getting used to it. You find joy in the toughness. James says it produces endurance. A mature Christian has endurance through the sufferings. You ever met someone who's a mature Christian, been a Christian for a long time, they've gone through a lot of things? You're like, how in the world can they still be positive right now? Are you kidding me? Why are they positive? Because they have joy in their sufferings. They trust Christ. They know where eternity is. My grandfather, when he died... He had joy in his suffering because he knew where his eternity was. Joy in suffering. Let's turn to Matthew 6. And we'll see here that where our treasure is is where our joy is. Matthew 6, 20. Our Lord Jesus Christ says, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. <laughs> Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's where your desires will be, wherever your treasure is. Is your treasure on things in earth? Then that's where your desire is. And guess what? When the things on earth fail, in which they do all the time, like politicians and money and houses, when they fail, where's your joy? It's gone. Because things on earth are fading away. 
But if your focus and your treasure is in heaven with our Lord Jesus Christ, where's your joy? In heaven with our Lord Jesus Christ who never leaves. He never fades away. Never. That's where your joy has to be. Your joy is where your treasure is. Flip over to Acts chapter 5. Starting to get tired yet from flipping? All right, awesome. <laughs> Acts chapter 5. And uh, we'll go down to verse 38. And now we're going to see it's a privilege to suffer. It's a privilege to suffer, and that's, that's our joy, because we feel it a privilege to suffer. That's why we have the joy. So Acts 5, 38 through 41. So these, uh, these apostles were imprisoned, and uh, so right after this, um, we'll see what happens. Um, Gamaliel gives him advice. You know, let these guys go. Don't worry about them. He says, but if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Or you may even be found fighting against God, he says. Let them go. So they follow Gamaliel's advice in verse 40. And after calling the apostles in and beating them, they commanded them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then released them. <laughs> well, that's nice. So they went on their way from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. <laughs> they went away rejoicing. And guess what they kept on doing? Preaching the word. They rejoiced from doing what God had called them to do. They're messengers sent by God. Now we're going to see that being called to service not only includes service or suffering and joy, but it also includes imitating Christ himself. You see, so many people feel called to the ministry or to this or to that. But what they fail to realize is this is an act of imitating Christ. This imitating Christ, what he says is, I'm filling up what's lacking of Christ in afflictions. That word, filling up, it really has the understanding of filling in the place of. Filling up in the place of. So doing something, filling, filling it up to the brim in the place of something else. Filling up in the brim in the place of Christ is what he's saying. I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. I'm filling up to the brim 
in place of Christ. Instead of the Antichrist, it starts with the same word, anti, by the way. Instead of in the place of Christ, those false doctrines, Paul says he's filling up in the place of Christ, suffering. You see the contrast? The false teachers were saying, do these things instead of Christ, in the place of Christ, the Antichrist. And Paul's saying, what you should be doing is filling up, in place of Christ, the sufferings of Christ. How? Through the ministry. That's how Paul is filling up what's lacking. In the place of Christ. Imitating Christ. That's what he's saying there. Vicariously. Participating with Christ. Ephesians 5.1 says, Imitate Christ. Pretty straightforward. Be like him. How do you imitate Christ? When you don't see him. You read about Christ in the scripture. You understand who Christ is through reading the scripture. Coming to church, hearing the sermons, Sunday school, prayer, songs. That's how you imitate Christ. We're supposed to be like him. Why? Because we died with him. And since we died with him, we live with him. We're one with Christ. We're in union with Christ. How can we not imitate the one that we're bonded to? We don't just imitate him in good deeds. We also imitate him in sufferings for his namesake. Second Timothy 2 talks about that we die with him. We live with him. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's not saying, hey, you should all want to be just like me. He's only saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Do the things that are Christ-like that I do. Follow me as we together follow Christ, is what Paul is saying. Imitate Christ. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 16. Paul and Christ suffer the same cause. The same cause. Romans 8, 16 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, also heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. And then he goes on to say, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
if we suffer with him. John Calvin explains this whole epistle, and he says the following, quote, This epistle, to express it in one word, distinguishes the true Christ from the false one. The false one is the Antichrist. It distinguishes the true Christ from the false one. The false one says, worship angels, do this, do that, and you have your way in the future. That's the false Christ. The true Christ says, suffering is part of the deal. It's not about angels, it's about the almighty Christ. You're one with Christ. Have joy in your sufferings. And that's what Paul meant when he says, I'm filling up what is lacking of Christ's afflictions in my body for the sake of his body, the church. And that goes on to our next section. Everything he's doing is for edification. Edification. Edification just means to build up. To build up. And Paul is saying, I do all these things for his body, the church. Why? To build up the church. To strengthen the foundation to build it up. That's why I do what I do. Because the church is the body of Christ. We're all different members of it. How does he do this? By preaching the word. By preaching the word. And then in Colossians chapter 1, verse... 5 or 25 I'm sorry Paul says he's a minister according to the stewardship of God given to me for you why? so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God he's a servant what is he serving? the food the food, the nourishment that we all need as Christians to survive Without the food, you have nothing. You starve. And Paul says, I'm here as a steward. I'm a minister, a servant, to give you the food. By preaching the word. Edification is preaching the word. Edification is serving others. Turn with me to John chapter 13. Verse 12. And Jesus gives us an example of serving others. You can't top this example, by the way. You can't top it. Other than his death on the cross. John 13, 12. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, so this is after he washed their feet. Now I want you to imagine that right now. We all wear shoes and we got socks on and all that kind of stuff. Dirty, sandaled, sandy, nasty feet. The Lord Jesus Christ washed their feet. I can't get over that every time I read it. He says, do you know what I have done to you? 
You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then the Lord and the teacher wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. <laughs> the example we have to follow is, guess what? Not, hey, I want to be a preacher. I want to do this. I want to do that. No. <laughs> Wash your feet. Wash your feet. <sighs> wow, let that sink in for a little bit. What is ministry? Serving. Get out there and wash some feet. <laughs> That's what Jesus said. Don't be mad at me for the message. <sighs> Turn over to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I'm really giving you guys a test if you know your Bible. <laughs> Just kidding. Philippians 1, 12. Edification involves the progress of the gospel message. Philippians 1, 12 through 18. Now I want you to know, brothers, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Another prison epistle. He's in prison. He's saying my circumstances have turned out for the progress of the gospel. He's saying the gospel has been advanced because of this. So that my chains in Christ have become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. He's in jail, and, the, and the, the prison wardens are starting to learn the gospel. <laughs> Amen to that, right? And that most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord because of my chains, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. <laughs> they have more courage now to speak without fear because of Paul's imprisonment. Even the guards are getting saved. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ, even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me affliction in my chains. What then, he says. So some people are doing it for the wrong reason, he's saying. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. He says, I don't care that I'm in prison. So what? Because guess what? Christ is being proclaimed. So who are we to complain about our situations? Suffer. Have joy in your suffering. Proclaim Christ through your suffering. Do all things for the name of Christ. And lastly, we'll go to 2 Corinthians. And we're going to learn what Paul literally did. 2 Corinthians 11. We all know this section very well. So Paul goes on these three missionary journeys. He's preaching the word all over the Mediterranean area. He's preaching the word. What does he get for it? 2 Corinthians 11, 23. Here's what he gets. It says, Are they ministers of Christ that speak as if insane? As if insane. I more so. And here it is right here. Here's what he gets for his work. A pat on the back. Hey, you're great, man. No, here's what he gets. 
in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, in beatings without number, in frequent danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes, less one, so 39. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the desolate places, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brothers. I've been in labor and hardship and many sleepless nights and starvation, thirst, often hungry, cold, without enough clothing. And apart from such things, there's a daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. He said, on top of all that... As if that's not enough? All the churches. I say to you, rejoice in your sufferings, brothers and sisters. Proclaim Christ. Many people have been saved from suffering people. Fox's Book of Martyrs. Read it. All those people suffering for Christ. To the point of death, which is the extreme. I'm not saying go out there and be a martyr. But they did it until the point of death. Certainly we can deal with our sufferings in America here. And rejoice in our sufferings. Because we're doing it from Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing it for. The one who saved us from our sins. If you're not saved today, look to Christ. Repent and believe. Repent and believe in the gospel. The good news. The news of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who's our Savior. You might have to suffer. You will suffer. But there's a glorious eternity that awaits you where you'll spend the rest of your life with the one who made you in the image of himself. And to that I say, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for giving us the grace of joy in the midst of suffering. Thank you for using suffering to give us endurance and to make us stronger. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us can take heed, act out these things that we've heard today in our lives. Lord, we pray for anyone today that's not a believer, that he can respond to the gospel and believe and repent of their sins. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.